This is Purple Radio On Demand. Can you hear that? Tango, put your headphones on. Right, can you hear that? Okay, good afternoon. Uh, here we are for another brew episode. Uh, good to be back. How are you doing, Zach? Yeah, good, good, good. And today we have a very special guest, Saga. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Very excited to be on the brew. Nice, nice. Is it too nice. early to plug the perfect day? No. Yeah. <laughs> way too early. Way too early. It's always too early. <laughs> it's always too early. Yeah. No, yeah, it's well, great to... no, Sanger's no, um, no stranger to the, to the recording studio. He's got, a, got his own podcast. Yeah, we're a bit, um, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Right? <laughs> yeah, gauging a exactly lifetime here. Um, but no, yeah, it's good, good to have you on. Uh, today we're, we're here to talk about, effectively, your just general business savviness, your entrepreneurial mind, uh, <laughs> insights into commerce and all things. Yeah, well, I um, look, I, before you know, we lead anyone down, yeah, I'm not claiming to be Elon Musk. No <laughs> Elon Musk. Compare myself more to Adele. Um, but um, yeah, no, just some insight into kind of my giant journey so far. And yeah, it'd be great to talk to you guys about it. Nice, nice. Uh, so, uh, well, let's begin. So, Marshwood Pond. I think yeah. it's important just to say, firstly, norm, norm, in particular here, like, Sanger is, how old are you? Sort of like, you're at, you are at Durham with us. You're yeah. in your third oh, yeah. year. What do you study? Blah, blah, blah. Just because in the context of what we're going to talk about, it, it does kind of... Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. So, I am 22 third year at Durham um, and I study history and business yeah. uh, which is quite a niche combo but uh, obviously the business stuff well it's not directly practical but it's still useful and kind of history is my passion so I love yeah. kind of like you Callum you love studying classics I love going I like into the old the old books yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. dead people dead languages dead people <laughs> the rest uh, okay but so where is the seed planted for this for this farm this idea this business your involvement in it uh can i kind of take you back to your earliest <laughs> yeah. interaction with uh yeah business? so i mean uh yeah without without dragging on um it kind of starts from a young age i mean a lot about uh what i do in business and why i do it is more because of my family influence rather than okay. some creative spark that i had one day so <laughs> so yeah my granddad's always been a farmer um and kind of around 2010, we kind of, as a family, just decided to get some chickens. Nothing, nothing major. Casual. Um, around 2010? Yeah, started. around 2010. Okay. Um, so on the website, what's it, it talks about like the 80s or something. Well, if we want to go, <laughs> I don't know if we have time to go back that far, but anyway, my granddad set up like convenience stores and supermarkets during the 80s okay, and okay. he tracks the lineage if you like back then yeah, but i yeah, mean for fine, me fine. i only seen it from 2010 okay, I don't know okay. there. Okay. but um yeah not not some false marketing no no, no, no. <laughs> no they were yeah. quite clear with that to be fair they yeah. gave the story, the story. But I just, yeah okay but yeah so we went into kind of just small scale egg production i think at the start we used to have 30 40 chickens we used to run an honesty box outside our house uh which for those of you who don't know is where you kind of put the eggs every day outside and you kind of trust people to put in a couple yeah, of pounds yeah, yeah. that was not the greatest business plan really? because pe <laughs> people would just either chuck the eggs on the window or just wouldn't pay <laughs> interesting i me, me and my my dad did the same thing with golf balls two golfers we had yeah. a little honesty box of golf balls and yeah. they seem to be a bit more i don't know 
the, they seem more honest. They yeah, uh, yeah, I th- it could be a bit about where we live. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so you know, early, we, we, early setbacks, 2010. Yeah, if you like, early setbacks. Um, and then, you know, we, we kind of like, uh, my granddad obviously, from a farming background, wanted to take chicken production and their production more seriously. So we scaled up to, I think we had about 2,000 chickens. And the field right. was kind of like the jump from yeah. We bought a chicken. I, to I know, I know, I know. It seems drastic, but I mean, well, at, are they sort of at this point, is it like a in like a barn, a factory? Well, or yeah, are we I mean, free range. Chicken? I mean, now, now if I talk eggs, I only talk free range. But okay, you know, right. back in those days, yeah. when supply was short, you know, cage eggs, not a bit, not a not a huge deal. Yeah, that's how yeah, we yeah. started. So okay. I'd call us. We were barn at the start. So yeah. Um, not full colony cage, but the kind of hybrid in between. What, what's a colony cage? So, col- so the colony classification of egg is strictly when the chickens are literally got a space in a cage where they, they cannot move all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are fed in that cage and they cannot move. And they lay that, the egg. Is that what you might call like a battery farm Exactly, spot on. Okay, it's yeah. a battery. I'm thinking of the, kind of the go-to images of kind of yeah. scandalous chicken farming. Exactly. Sort of you'll, you'll have it in your head. Yeah. You would have seen it all over. Yeah, yeah. Barn is a different structure where you've got a, a large kind of like, um, literally a barn, where oh. the chickens roam around this barn. There's feed in the middle. Yeah. And they lay their eggs in the barn and yeah. you collect the eggs from there. So while... They don't have the outdoor access. It's still better than colony because they've yeah. got that opportunity to move around in the barn. What, what's the like economic advantage of having them in a barn as opposed? To, is it so to stop like predators and stuff? Getting yeah, them, I mean, if we look at if we look at the pure uh, kind of mechanics of economics, if you like, in the chicken egg business, the reason why colony became a big thing is because effectively your business is limited by in the chicken industry, your business is limited by how far the the chickens can move. So if you've got this big field and these chickens can roam around, it's difficult to manage them, it's difficult to collect their eggs, and it's difficult to feed them. So a big thing is about, the reason why colony chickens became such a big thing is, if you look at it from a farmer's perspective, the easiest way um, to produce eggs is through colony. While it's immoral, yeah, the yeah, chicken yeah. doesn't move. Yeah, the egg. You know where the egg's gonna yeah. be every day. Yeah, so yeah. it is easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, rather than going around this field having to cut it, it is a lot of yeah, But yeah. obviously, yeah. So we started there, and you know that all went fine. Um, and we were kind of working, working away into the industry, and then. And at this stage, who are, like the, your customers are they mainly local at this stage? Have yeah, you gone international. It's a good. It's a good question. So, it filters into how we still do business to this day. But our, our customers are. Uh, primarily they are um kind of like local shops um yeah. independent retail stores would be a good example yeah. yeah i mean we'll get onto this later but ethnic uh, ethnic um kind of minorities have been a huge market for us yeah, like yeah. the jewish market the indian market yeah, yeah, and yeah. so we we've learned to tap those niches but i think um essentially yeah and another aspect of the business is wholesalers like kind of cash and carries and food services yeah um, so yeah, and so essentially we kind of moved from there onto a bigger uh, chicken production. I think at the maximum it was probably about five thousand, 
and because it uh, five thousand chickens. chickens, yeah, which Jesus. which sounds like a lot. That does sound like a lot. But yeah. for actually for a chicken, and how many eggs? Well, what's a chicken doing? An egg a day? An no, egg so on days? average, it's normally about six every seven days. So it's pretty much an egg a day. Yeah, um, the that's, yeah, that's a lot. The the thing is, for the industry, very small. So to to really? fulfil our orders, are we talking minute margins on these sorts yeah. of things? Yeah. So yeah. essentially, not really much money in that side of the business, and I mean, we'll talk about this a bit later. But the egg shortages is yeah, is a good way yeah. to dissect the problem in the industry. I think okay. currently, and then essentially, we attempted to upscale um, our current production and went to uh, like put an application for four barns with 16,000 chickens each. And who, who, you, who are you applying to? to Just the council yeah, at this okay. stage to, to build it and have yeah. it out. Um, essentially, that got rejected. And this was in about 2017. Really? So on what ground? On the grounds that there was a huge Tesco opening up across the road. Uh, and the smell, I mean, the smell is prominent. <laughs> <laughs> you guys need to understand, it's not pretty on the chicken farm. Yeah, and so the Tesco yeah. block it. And... This is like a big, like, if we talk about the story, this is a big turning point because my granddad's from a farming background. That's what he loved doing. Yeah. He loved farming. Where, where, what, what sort of, did he grow up on a, on a chicken farm? Was this in the UK? Is no, I, th I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question. He's kind of very, um, kind of like, you know, if we look at my religion, Sikh, yeah. our heritage as just. Because he's just, he's just started another farm in, back in India. Exactly. Now, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, Essentially, yeah, and I'll, and I'll, uh, what happened is in 2017, our chicken operations kind of end. Okay. So that's a gap in the business. And essentially what happens is my granddad kind of, we look at other options. When you, when you say a gap in the business, from what you've said so far, that sounds like the whole business. Yeah, why, why did that have to end? Why did that end? But what, uh, why but is that a gap? What, what else have you got going for, us, for you? For, so, yeah, I haven't explained that well. For us... It was the point where we got to 5,000 chickens. We've been operating on this for a while. We've been buying eggs in as well and trading. Yeah, yeah. The margin in the egg market's so small that if your level of production's just not big enough, like it's a, it's a volume business. Yeah, yeah, it still yeah, is yeah. to this day. The people who make money are the people who churn out millions of eggs a week yeah. because the margin on eggs is so small. So for us, we were just kind of not really making money mm. um, and there was not much point of really doing it from an entrepreneurial perspective. And yeah, the chicken yeah. stunk. Like, yeah. we weren't getting some kind of pleasure like, out Just of it. like a hobby which has become too troublesome in a exactly. way. Exactly. And I mean, you know, like collecting the eggs, all this stuff is like, it is quite difficult yeah. to manage. Yeah. Um, and then it got to the point where my granddad's still very, he's always, always been interested in production, manufacturing. He's an engineer by trade. So then we kind of, and this was to the point where I kind of first got involved in the business, I'd say actively. And we looked 2017. at- 2017. Yeah. Bridging on 2018. Okay. So- essentially to understand we've still got loads of egg customers so by this point we've got about like 300 egg customers and these are wholesalers yeah like we're not talking like small boutique shops we're talking people that are going to be buying in volume yeah like, i mean it's, it's a mixed oh, i mean let's put, let's put some context and numbers so to be honest like the average shop retail shop in the uk sells approximately about I'd almost say probably about 1,000 dozens, okay. which is quite a lot. And so if you manage... What do you mean when you say every... You just mean on average, but is that sort of... What sort of size we think there? Like a Tesco Metro? No, so they'll be selling loads more, like oh, five times. Really? I'm talking about not small corner stores, but I'm talking about more like 
independent retailers. Like a good example in this cash and carries. Mm. You know, you see those like quite big cash and carries and they, yeah. they sell a lot of product. But they they cater themselves to brands kind of less well known or less established, not in yeah, supermarkets. Yeah. So that was our opportunity. And then obviously the ethnic um minorities yeah, yeah, yeah. market. So anyway, we've got a strong egg business and we're looking to go into yogurt production is our next idea. So we kind of together built this yogurt plant. Um, you know, we got the machinery in from Turkey, all of that stuff. Um, and basically essentially built that new product line under the Marshwood Farm brand. Yeah. And so this is where um kind of like I I came into the business actively and we worked because my granddad was obviously getting quite old by this stage. And my dad does something completely different, nothing to do with that, which is important because it meant that from the young age, I had a bit more responsibility actively yep. in the business. Yep. Yep. And so a long story short, I know, um, but during that gap year is when we built up the yogurt business. We kept okay. the egg business going. And by the end of that gap year, because it was COVID as well, yeah, so yeah. it was the opportunity to really like look into business seriously and pursue those goals so i was almost fortunate in covid in one way i would be thinking that's maybe quite a good time in the sense that people have got more free time they're going to be able to reach out maybe see your brand interact with your product exactly mm. and that's where we try to build our local sales yeah. so i spent a lot of times like in our retail shops that we served like selling customers informing them about our brand and that was a really good opportunity for me to spend like quality time learning the business and on the front line or what, exactly. do you mean, what do you mean like selling selling to customers when you're interacting with so for, for us uh, our business we don't sell directly to the end consumer yeah which yeah. is which is a challenge in itself we essentially put up there on retail shelves you'll see them and you'll have the brands that you go to yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. the difficult thing for smaller producers is, is why a customer's going to pick up their brand they haven't heard of you yeah so you know the, the front line of business as you said put up you know spot on is literally going them and telling them we're this you know we're local you're brand. selling to tesco exactly you're selling to, obviously not well, were you selling supermarkets or to uh, we're selling like wholesalers and yeah, retail yeah, shops yeah. but if you think of think you're, of them you're basically like, doing pitches you're going around yeah, doing pitches exactly pitches. like yeah. if you if you think like um a perfect example have you been into nisa shops Nisa, like Nisa yeah, yeah, or McColl's, yeah, yeah, yeah like kind yeah. of small, some, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where a lot of our products. Oh, are. So okay. if you imagine it's like a mini yeah. supermarket, it's the best way to see it. Yeah, yeah. And so, the problem we've got in our business is we're selling to them. They'll take your product as much as they want, but if some of that product doesn't sell and goes out of date, they're returning it to you. So I'm losing money there. Really? So we is that not a normal? Is that what? Like Tesco do is that a normal business model? To I say, mean, we have to sell it otherwise. So they they wait. So they return it to you. Yeah. Well, so a lot of it, if it goes out of date, if products consistently going out of date, a lot of customers will insist, especially large customers, on a return policy where they get credit for that product. Credit that they have to then spend with you again. But, no, which will uh, be taken directly really. off their invoice, which is again part of an industry aspect. I don't understand. I don't understand, and I don't like it. But mm. it's just the way the industry works. Yeah, I can see that. To be fair, so in effect, you are kind of selling to the consumer. They're just like fronting it for you. Almost. Yeah, they're, take, but, but, they're taking. You could kind of see it as they're taking a fee. They're not really buying it off you. They're just selling it for you. And if they don't sell it, they'll give it back to you. It's and kind of, yeah. Them back and it. so I've had multiple queries and kind of arguments almost with customers about, you know, because, I mean, if you imagine my position, like they can just get the normal brands and sell them. 
no harm. I've got to go to them and try and convince them why Marsh would farm. Yeah, yeah. And within that, there's a lot of like, there could be false promises or whatever. But, and that's why periods in the burden of proof is very much on yourself exactly you, you have to you exactly have to i'm saying this that it's great yogurt yeah. it tastes great but i mean the customer does have to pick it up yeah and yeah. so that's the hard bit for me not mm -hmm. being end consumer and so yeah um essentially work through and then as you said my granddad went to india mm -hmm. um and set up a cow farm uh we had a small team by them but essentially that's kind of like where i took more of a kind of role he's still obviously you know great mentor does all that but um that's when i took more of an active role yeah kind of in the business the day-to-day -day running so can you talk, talk us through talk, a day-to-day -day? talk us a bit about running a day-to-day day-to-day running of a business while you're at university while you're you know doing a degree not an easy degree either you're also doing well in your degree and you know you have a relatively interesting social life and stuff how, how does one go about doing that yeah i mean it's it's been a I think it's been quite a tough balance at mm. uni. I think because... I can vouch for the fact, you know, it, it's very early mornings and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't claim to work hard on the business, but I think um, I think such a good thing about the modern day, if we're talking about running businesses and looking to business, is the technology's crazy. Like, I can go onto my laptop and literally access my computer at the office, mm. which means I can see the day-to-day -day running. And I think... I'm lucky because my role has been set in a sense to look at the overall business. I mean, I've got a bit of, I do get new customers and things, but I think in general, I'm looking at, are we making profit? I'm looking at more like management things rather than, for example, delivering the eggs. Yeah. And so I think if we talk about the day-to-day -day running, it would be like supplier relations are crucial for me. I need to be talking to my milk suppliers about pricing and you know quality for example yeah um so if we look at supply management as something that takes you know part of my day and then we look at which is mainly just on the phone it's just people. on the phone all day yeah. like i'm not claiming exactly and i'm not claiming to like um be writing these i don't know excel spreadsheets that tell her <laughs> for me it's just about just keeping up i'm almost call myself a customer relationship manager yeah. but i think and I, I, I don't do much more than that i think where it does change you're just like keeping in the loop and making exactly. sure everything is, exactly. is going the way you want it to exactly and i think um like if i've learned anything from my parent my my granddad and dad like the key art is, is is in delegation i mean you cannot be doing everything at once but what they're really good at is building organizations and systems within the business that that create profit and also create the smooth running of the business and i think that's a key thing that i've learned and they've kind of taught me the the, the experience of trying to you know look after the business while at uni meant that my my art of delegation has got to be better than if yeah. I was there and I can do things because it's it really I think good question um, Cam because the the point is is when you're at uni trying to do the business yeah. and you know because you, you're not always aware where there are gaps in your business but when you're not there and then things start going wrong it's interesting that it's always in the same department I remember we we lost a driver and we were convinced that we couldn't replace him so we continued suddenly we'd have a whole list of complaints from customers about um the way the product was being delivered timings of delivery so i think it's interesting that almost when you're not there 
obviously it's better if you're there but if you're not there you can you, you get can, a bit more of a bird's eye view yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. You, exactly. Can, you can distance yourself and kind of just spot look at the whole yeah, thing I've found that's quite a big thing interesting so approaching it with a sense of with a sense of distance almost yeah, yeah coming I, to it like a third party yeah and I mean I think if you look at big corporations I think the thing I've found is I think to a degree you you know when you're a small business you've got to be hands on and active because you just don't have the money that these big corporations have to spend on operations but in one sense if you look at the way big companies are run if you look at the the board the executive they're looking at the high level kind of overview of the business and they've got the systems in place to run the day-to-day -day business and it, it, like a, an example yeah. would be that if you think of a football club at the top they're talking about the whole brand of the football club the, the, who's running the players? It's the manager. It's fastest yeah, to die. Exactly. Not other people. Exactly. They, they're not caring about like are they practicing tiki taka and el rondos? Exactly. It's up to someone else. It's spot on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's quite an the interesting thing. I see what you mean. Yeah. But I think for me the 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 you've got to do the nitty gritty as well though. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm I'm not claiming. But at least have an understanding of exactly. The yeah. So in the holidays, like I love getting involved in the nitty gritty. Like that's something I I love going into the yogurt plant. I love making the yogurt yogurt myself because that's what i also love doing as well so on one hand it's like i always find that at uni the business doesn't develop as much it doesn't grow as much because when you know because i've done most of the selling and most of the customer relationships so when it's not there like it doesn't grow necessarily yeah, as much yeah. but it's just in the day-to-day -day running so i think yeah okay. nice. how much how much uh room is there for like d certain business decisions to be made whilst you're you're up here in the sense that how much free will do uh do other people who are kind of monitoring the business have? yes great point um i think i think the main thing is is like there's kind of two like general managers if you like we have one on the eggs one on the yogurt and yeah. they almost run those operations and they're they're fantastic they're brilliant and decisions are made between the three of us because the eggs and yogurt business is, is still the same uh, they're run together and like it's quite important the synergy of both businesses work so if for example we're investing too heavily on the egg side the yogurt side falls so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. important for us to keep that balance i think in the future our plans are as we grow we want to we want to be able to run multiple brands of dairy yeah. products under one group would you would you consider because obviously there's uh, a huge in relation to the dairy industry kind of a kickback against it or a something that could be incorporated into your own business is thinking of uh i'm thinking vegan i'm thinking you know pl uh plant-based yogurt this sort of stuff i don't know if you've considered yeah. that at all no it's it... like how do you predict the future of the dairy industry going yeah um i think with the... it seems like diets are kind of yeah they are a, they are pushed back against it a certain degree i think <sighs> but people are always going to eat eggs right exactly yeah i mean that could change based upon you know multiple factors but I think if we look at the dairy industry, if we look at the yogurt, I think, or the dairy industry in general, it's definitely true that dairy-free items are here to stay. There's no doubt about that. But I think the transition into that is much longer than people expect. Like, we've seen, like, you guys will know, like, a lot of these, these companies like Beyond Meat, they've taken a battering. Really? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if we're ready for this vegan, you know, meat-free, dairy-free yeah, life quite yet. And all this sort it, of it's all quite futuristic to me. So, and also the way my business work is that when when end consumers create changes, for example, like let's say you guys decide to go vegan tomorrow, yeah. that's not directly my business. I'm working more about like supplying restaurants 
and wholesalers who are looking for the best deals. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so when I look at the business, it's not that like, it's the, the businesses like Muller, who, you know, thousands of people eating their yogurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to lead that change. And then people. And then it, everyone can follow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. So, yeah. Um, so, when just going back to what you were saying about. And you said you sort of scaled up to about 5,000 eggs and then it wasn't really going anywhere. Yeah. And you sort of hit a bit of a brick wall. How did transitioning into the yogurt production sort of get you past that? And now why you, why didn't you just shift completely to yogurt? How has sort of the Simbit biases of the both been sort of the best option? Yeah, no, it's a good, great point. Um, so initially, um, my, my ground was kind of like, kind of finished with eggs. But I think essentially we found a way to use the egg business so another part of that is we had local contacts local farmers who were chicken farmers and they would just sell our eggs and we pack them and, and distribute them so we've essentially become an egg distributor rather than a producer okay now the so big... do you still have a chicken farm nowadays no or... no no we okay. we don't have a single egg okay on so you farm. got rid of that but now you're like middleman for the exactly okay. and i think this relates really and is well. there much money in that what sort of a margin is someone making on uh, packaging probably we make between 15 20 percent which oh, okay. is, which is actually it's not too bad that's, um that's, no, that's like gross loads, surely. yeah but then but then overheads and things delivery oh, fees gross. Okay. it's gross my father's making 15 20 something <laughs> great but um yeah i think it ties really well to the egg shortage yeah which yeah, I let's think, go let's talk about yeah that I, I think it's been something obviously i've been really interested in quite a lot of people will be in the news office. anyway yeah exactly i don't think yeah people might be ignorant but it's even been it's you don't have to be a, an egg farmer to have heard about it no yeah it's sort of a big inflation on on eggs recently so yeah. do you want to talk about that yeah no um so it's been a big problem but also kind of blessing for for our business in the yeah. last couple of months so essentially there's a few factors in the egg shortage there's avian flu which yep. is a big problem yeah um and then there's essentially like um supermarket overconsumption, if you like um and essentially if we look at the distribution of eggs in the market what's essentially happened is supermarkets have continued you know selling loads and um essentially they're also not paying fair prices for eggs because of if you're an egg producer okay and you've got a supermarket as a customer you're obliged to fulfill part of the contract of supply and demand is you're obliged to fulfill their demands yeah. and as obviously you know through the process of time um supermarkets have just been consuming such a large proportion of the egg market and essentially yeah uh, so the combination of both those two factors have meant that we're short of eggs wait so is it that the soup with the supermarket factor is it that they've got such a monopoly and they sell them in such mass that they're just they're not being able to be maintained yeah it's almost like um kind of the power of procurement like if you think about how many eggs supermarkets buy yeah. i mean i'll give you an example Morrison's a bought a bought company you know a few years ago called Chippendale Foods who are purely an egg producer mm. so they're executing vertical integration by essentially they've bought an egg farm an egg producer so that they can fulfill their egg orders yeah, because I, I mean so many people eat eggs and as you know pop, you know as more people Morrison's eat, have bought the egg farm yeah this they was a few years a few years ago so essentially yeah. think of it like that so they're cutting out all those all the 15 20 percent in the middle that you're sort of exactly scraping in exactly okay, okay. which i think 
in the long run, it's healthy for the egg market. I don't think... I think big problem with the egg market in general is there's just too many middlemen. There's too many things. Like, producers... The reason why... Part of the reason why they're not getting paid fair price for some of them is that they need to be selling directly to either supermarkets or end consumers. Otherwise, there's just not enough money in eggs. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. yeah, well, I really like... Does that not kind of make you a bit redundant on the eggs? It side does, and that's why the future of our business is in the yogurt because we okay. produce it. So I think okay. if I look at where the dairy industry will be, I think those relations between producers and and, and uh, consumers need to be strengthened and they need to be enhanced yeah. for these for these because farmers essentially. I mean, milk price has been announced in the last couple of weeks is going down by loads again. Why? Why is that? Well, it's supply and demand, isn't it? Is this another, you know, yeah. too many, too much milk available? Well, I guess it's such a volatile time with the prices of products. Exactly, anyway. yeah. yeah. With inflation um, so high as well. Yeah, and so it's difficult. And so, could we talk a little bit about the more niche side of the egg production, which I know you've spoken to me about before, which is this kosher type egg stuff, which is where you're making much more sort of. Well, yeah, explain that a bit to us. What you you, you were yeah. talking about the ethnic minorities. I think yeah, I think um, I think a big opportunity in all of food, but also all of business, is realizing how how much more ethnically diverse the UK becomes year on year. Yeah. And so a big opportunity for us was in. I think the interesting thing, if you look at the Jewish um, market, is. Uh, they live in specific uh, to be fair as is the case with plenty of ethnicities they've clubbed together in certain areas of the UK yeah. as a small community mm. so if we look at the Jewish North community London. exactly uh, yeah. the Jewish community is North London yeah, the yeah. area is actually called Golders Green okay. and it's just full of Jewish shops full of Jewish restaurants yeah. and so Jewish Jewish people I don't know if it's they must, but they prefer to eat white eggs. In fact, I think... Is that, that like a kosher thing? To yeah. Do with and and so, essentially, there was a period where they'd require a certain kosher ink, and we... For, for the stamp? Yeah, for the stamp. The stamp's yeah. different to normal stamps. I mean, okay. I'm not, I don't know the whole science behind it, but <laughs> <laughs> essentially, we found a guy who stamped the, the eggs with the kosher ink, Mm. And that allows us to sell directly to Jewish markets. And the opportunity we had there is that we were offering something almost unique. And what is that ink sort of blessed by a rabbi or something? <laughs> How does that work? Um, you, you're not too sure about this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you might get a rabbi going like this yeah, to it or yeah, something, yeah. but um, <laughs> there's not too much in that. Yeah, but I yeah, think I the main thing, the main messaging was that we could almost you know, go to the Jewish shops and thing and say like, um, that we found this kosher ring. So rightly or wrongly, it was a bit of a marketing ploy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been told that the producer, that there is there is value, I suppose, in, in the kosher ring. Okay. Um, for the, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. The, for the community. But anyway, you know, now they're great customers, great friends, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we get on like our so far. So it's just like a weird kind of niche we almost and hit. Is, are, you, are you charging? a significant premium for that service is that sort of are the margins widening quite a bit when you do that uh, i mean uh, yeah i mean previously when we first started doing yes but recently maybe some other people have caught wind of it and there's a bit of there's a bit of thing in the market but i still say it's the market we've got the biggest grip on okay it's still our it's not our highest selling market but it's the market that you said who leads that certain market and i i think people would say marshall farm 
Really? Interesting. Yeah. I, think, okay. I think that's the market that we're perhaps most proud of. It's okay. Yeah, it's a interesting. So, okay, finishing uh, uni soon, moving into this, where do you, do you have like a five-year plan for the business? Uh, is it healthy to think in those terms? Are you, are you going full-time with the business? You're not yeah, there? yeah, I think um, that's been decided. I think, um, I mean, these conversations have been... Yeah, like, I'm getting an image of a sort of Michael Corleone hand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, something like that. But yeah, these are good. But as you said, the conversation happening a lot around the family table. Um, really? Yeah, and so I think the main thing to realise is that still like bundles of stuff to learn. Yeah. Like couldn't even imagine the amount of things I need to learn. And so um, while like you don't necessarily need to be a jack of all trades, but you need to you need to understand all aspects quite well. Stuff like accounting. Yeah, no idea yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like <laughs> kind of law no yeah. idea and so and all, is your granddad is your granddad pretty clued up on I the mean, books and all that sort of stuff I, need, uh, I think with, if you look at my granddad and dad and anyone who's run a business for a long time they've learned kind of on them specifically anyway they've learned on the job like my dad was in business since he was 21 so it's very much like a he's been learning for years and years and yeah. he, I mean, he'll still say to this day like he's still got loads to learn yeah, but yeah, i think yeah. that's the nature of running business i think new challenges new era it's just yeah, always yeah. new things to learn and i yeah. think that's the excitement I, I enjoy in it there's no day that's ever the same do you view it as a project which uh if it just went incredibly successfully would you want to effectively sell the business or would you want it to stay running in the family eternally? Uh, Is that too, too Yeah, early? I mean, yeah. Obviously, you always dream of selling the business hey, and hey. Going, going abroad and yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of that stuff. But I mean, for the moment, it's more just like trying to build it. I mean, there's so much, there's so much, you know, there's so much to go. And I think you, you want to think practically. I mean, you, you asked if the five-year plan exists but i think it is important to have like a, a plan of some length i think the five years is a, is a good marker because but i mean even now we're just looking year to year we're looking at mm. i mean a big thing for us now is previously what we haven't done and i think a huge thing in the next 10 years is understanding about sustainability and social value yeah, um yeah. currently marshwood we don't offer anything and that's very much that's the new thing i want to bring into the what business what do you mean by offer well i mean we we've got no you know we've got no sustainability measure we've got no sustainability message yeah, and we've yeah, got yeah. no social value it's essential in this like uh, current market. yeah and I, and I don't i people use the term greenwashing and those yeah, things yeah. but i don't see it as like that i think a big thing and i think if you want to i mean our goal if we look at our, our specific goal is to get into a uk supermarket within the next three to four years okay. is the goal we've set interesting and so a huge part of that is for for businesses to align or at least uh, relate to the social and sustainability values of these supermarkets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. They're not going to take on a company which has either got yeah. nothing to say or a, a, a contrary opinion. Because Spot. they're having to think about big investment as well, and then you need ESG ratings. You need they're going to be scrutinising every single supplier, everyone they're buying from. So you need stamps, organic. What's all that sort of saying? Free range. Yeah. Is that when you kind of need the free range stuff going on? Yeah, or? I mean we we've definitely seen a lot of increase in free range. I mean to be fair, most of the stuff we sell is free range organic. The colony's yeah. a lot less. It's a lot less in demand. Um, I think the main thing is, I mean, organic is excellent. I mean, but I just, 
the current price difference, I don't see it as that much of an advantage to free range. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we've got to also think like we're living in a time where like the cost of living crisis is very real. Yeah. And so we, our business deals specifically with what I'd classify almost as everyday, maybe not essentials, but egg could be an everyday essential. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but pretty much people products that people are going to be eating quite regularly yeah, yeah, yeah so a big thing for us is how do it's we not necessarily like their treats exactly I mean, yeah. yeah 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 so um a staple yeah, yeah a staple yeah. so how do we create a fair price ultimately for our customer and then what i'm trying to filter into the business now is like what does marshwood stand for like what do we do like socially so one big uh thing i'll go over quickly but one big thing that we want to introduce to companies we want to um there's a bar that um, has been created called the Fla Flaming Phoenix Bar. That's what I know. And uh, he... what's that? Sorry, like a like a drinks bar. No, it's like essentially like it's he's, uh, it's a bit exaggerated, but I know the guy and he's just claimed to like solve world world hunger. It, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but okay. he he's essentially created a bar <laughs> that's got 500 calories, and you buy three of them a day, and uh, they're really cheap to buy. Okay. Uh, the unit price is quite cheap, and so. What my plan called the flaming flaming phoenix. phoenix. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to actually yeah. plug it yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but um, essentially, I think our next plan into social social value development, if you like, is to buy for every. We're going to do a thing every month where we tally up how much yogurt we've sold, and for, for a, we're going to do a proportion, maybe a tenth of that. We're going to buy as a company out of our our profits. We're going to buy that amount of Flaming Phoenix bars and distribute it specifically in the local area. Yeah, nice. and that's kind of a, an example of social, uh, what I call social for this local area for the yeah. food banks uh, okay, and nice. those people. And that's what I think. I think for companies to where to bring social value is going to be a really big thing. How much do you think that that is a pro? Like, is that sometimes a cynical person might think that when uh, companies take on like a social and ethical stance that they're just being reactive. Uh, they're kind of looking to their customers and kind of moving with their tide how much of it is a pressure from within like do you feel that you're compelled to do that by the nature of the of the market or do you have like a a genuine sort of urge to push a more kind of socially aware aspect yeah. to the business it's, yeah it's a great point i think it's a point that will be so heavily contested in the next five years more than anything yeah we're seeing big companies like you know, being accused of greenwashing, like sustainability at the moment is such a loose term. Yeah. Like, yeah. what does that mean? How is do we? It, is the motive necessarily the that important? Like, you can if you're greenwashing, you're greenwashing. You know? Yeah. You're I mean, brief. I I think, yeah, I, that's a good point on the other hand. But I think I think the main thing to realise is that like, I think f if we look at my example, because I can only talk for my example, I think. When you look at a company, you want to understand what that company, the values of the company, and it sounds like a vague throwaway term, but if I, if you ask me what does Marshwood currently stand for, what what what's behind the business, yeah. and I did give you a bit about family values and, and those things, but it's like how are we showing that rather than it just being a thing on your website? And so while I agree, I think you know some of this stuff could be reactive, but if we're honestly looking at it like like companies with there being so many in so many different saturated markets, yeah. how like how are they defined? How are you gonna define a company? What are the values of that company? I think it's gonna be quite a big thing. Yeah. Rather than just buying a product off. You them. definitely see that. In a way that the advertising of companies 
has been overtaken by you don't have like uh, BP or Shell going on and going we have very good petrol or petrol is the best <laughs> yeah. all their adverts now are about how sustainable they are it's and true. they don't have any mention about the fact that they actually sell you petrol it's, it's like assumed and so many companies now their advertising is on like social political issues yeah. so they can actually get around without having to be creative and just uh, uh, you know it's so true look it's so, so true I mean Nike are brilliant at it yeah 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 and like um, that's kind of like a big thing and again I think there's going to be so many ethical debates on things that are right and wrong about it but I think if, if companies are because I think with the amount of wealth in the world now and the amount of profit that some of the companies make, there's an opportunity for kind of businesses to really come together and create social value. It's a big thing in the food industry specifically. I mean, we're currently faced with, and I actually was more tuned to this the other day, but I'm in an industry where I think there's like, there's, I think the stat was 828 million people in the world are food insecure. Really? Which is when you think about it, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, so, I'd have thought it'd be more than that. Really? Out of seven billion, it's a seventh of the world. A seventh of the Almost. world is food insecure. And what does food insecure mean? Sort of? I mean, yeah, but essentially, I think if you boil it down, it's like not sure where the next meal is going to come from. Yeah. yeah. I think would be okay. the the most simple way. I don't know, Callum. You want anything different? Yeah, yeah. I no, no. I think that that, that, yeah. that would be the way to see it. But I think, I think that's quite a staggering number. Yeah, fair enough. That is Agreed not. that it's disproportionate in certain regions of the world. Yeah. But I think like. I think that's quite incredible. So for a big thing, if we look at the food industry specifically, how are the big corporations in the food the food world are, how are they going to like club together and either create, like improve those numbers? But a big thing now, it's interesting, is food has become uh, almost treated like a non-essential commodity. I don't know if you, got, if you guys have looked into this. I kind of get what you mean. But do you know how like, when we're selling food now, yeah. we're almost treating it like another product, like a toy. We're trying to make a certain amount of profit. But there's been a lot of argument recently into suggesting that food should become like a fixed commodity. And think about the implications for my business. What's a fixed commodity? Well, like almost like... Inflation proof. No, no, no. But almost like should be sold like an essential. There shouldn't be... Lots, a, I think staples and stuff are like the taxing is different on a tin of baked beans compared to like a... A fillet steak. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with that. And there's the competitive marketing, but there's almost been a a call for like some of these big corporations in essential food items to to be removed. And there's there's an idea now where if you look at the the is the fight is called the financialization of the food market. Okay. And essentially, what it means is how these big corporations, especially the transnational ones, have come in and they've almost like monopolize the food market they, they've got so much power and control like yeah. like one example is do you guys think that there could be uh there should be a profit cap that big companies can make of feeding people because there's a fair argument on on yeah, like essential on essentially no. feeding people i would say yeah i don't think people should be able to sort of like profiteer off of um people are though Big companies do what on like essential sort of yeah. I mean, if you look at but ultimately, you have to kind of change the system. If yeah, you're gonna go down those I mean, lines. it's it's radical. I just yeah. heard yeah. I heard something the other day. I just wanted so to play a bit. <laughs> I just wanted to. I know you guys love your conspiracies, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on <laughs> well, it. Yeah, as well. it's knowing what to sort of like 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 we were saying, you can't really put a cap on the profit someone's gonna make on a tin of caviar or something. That's true. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. I, I I am a. And at what point does something become essential? What if? 
certain people don't like essential type you need to and you need to be really careful in the sense that we're like we're touching on food as being like a, a kind of it is being treated as a toy but still it's like an essential commodity it's yeah, essential to live exactly and like if you're gonna if it's sold that's the way it is and if you're gonna come in and like jurisdict over the finances of the markets of that you know it's it it, some it, dangerous territory it's yeah. touching on like capitalism kind of like communism in yeah, that yeah, sense yeah, yeah, yeah. and so that I found that line of I'm quite interested listening to that the other day but yeah it's a big thing at the moment I, I, yeah. I was just thinking though with um, if uh, the amount of food insecurity continues and uh, we're seeing here in the UK and, and across the world the, the cost of living crisis I would like how much um is that threatening to your business in the sense that you're a small kind of independent thing trying to push through and people aren't maybe they're just going to go for the cheapest standard tesco version of eggs or yogurt they're not necessarily going to like spend even a quid more on kind of experimenting with this i, I would just suspect it's a harder time great as a smaller business to our, through it's a great point and because that's probably the biggest concern for this business but Maybe not in that way, in the way that all the food services and food wholesalers that I supply mm. are basically selling to hotels, restaurants, and they're the end products. But what we're probably going to see with this cost of living crisis, I'd assume, is, and maybe already happening, is that less people are going out to eat and things. So that has an implication on volumes for my business, which is why it's important to adapt, create yeah. new products, and be agile in the market in that way. Yeah. How much is it? Uh... I've always had a slightly, uh, I'd be really interested to hear your point about this. I've, I've always been slightly dubious about with uh, just like general, if you're making a, a, a can of Coke or a ham sandwich, like the way you make it look just pure marketing, like you eat with your eyes. Most people will kind of. The Clarence admit, Court yeah. on the eggs is a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So bringing up this before. Yeah, I mean. Like ultimately you could, because it's like, it's eggs. They don't actually taste or reveal themselves until you break them open the glamorizing of the egg you know when you see when you go to tesco and you see the tesco finest egg you'll notice they actually have the yolk on the thing because it's now about the color of the yeah, yolk yeah, and yeah, the yeah. interesting duck egg shells and stuff clear, maybe yeah. talk a bit about the clarence court because i know that's a pretty good business model isn't yeah it? i mean clarence court completely i mean they glamorize the egg uh, the good the adrian adrian got is he's, he's an incredibly he's a fantastic man we used to kind of wholesale for Clarence Court, and we used to just sell their eggs on to our customers. Yeah. Um, but I think if you look at the, the 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 business called Stonegate, but he's he's almost made he made eggs sexy in terms of it, what I mean by that is they were the as you said the most boring product. I mean, yeah. But like that egg is just you know, it's it's you know it speaks for itself. It's so yeah. identifiable. You could spot it from miles away. The Bertha Brown. Exactly, and and that in itself is. But like, I know a name of like an egg company's egg. Yeah. It's like you exactly. wouldn't know that with anyone and else. He he completely and and they're the uh, second largest. Is he making bank on that? Yeah, because for him, what he's created is exceptional. I mean, if you look into his story, the way he started was he did it completely differently. He would drive his eggs uh, into London and give them to the leading chefs. What, like Claridge's and all this sort of... He'd give them to the leading chefs in London, in, like, directly. hotels and stuff. Yeah. They would, use, they would use the eggs and be like, well, look at the colour of this. It's completely different to anything I've had. He would then... He would then... Those, those chefs would need to then talk to their food service about, we need to get this Clarence call. Suddenly, he'd be selling to these wholesalers and then they would be selling to all the restaurants and then he just built up, built yeah, up, and then yeah, he, yeah, brilliant. 
And then the chefs would be going, oh, mate, to their chef, yeah. fellow chefs it's down the pub, have you heard of these new yeah, yeah, yeah. Word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Word of mouth. But it's about... Yeah. Bro, you've got to try it. You've got to try this shit, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so true. But I mean, yeah, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. Oh, it's interesting. So, going forward, what we're saying. So, you're you're leaving, you're going to start the egg business. It's, I think now more so than any time, I think it's pretty difficult to sort of, you can't just cruise along at the same thing. With, With technology and just everything changing, as much it is as it is these days have you got any ideas for how you might go of integrating new technologies i mean the future it's going to be a marshwood farm pod <laughs> yeah exactly are you what what are these things you hear of these days like vertical farming and you can okay. create a farm in like a basement in london now equally equally oh, we're, gonna, we're bombarding you here but my Sorry, mind just yeah. went to like synthetic food i'm just thinking tech the, the synthetic that's why i came on synthetic food, egg. food tech food tech that's why i came on to the food, <laughs> you guys are the tech leaders yeah. you know the technology about everything <laughs> but i think yeah i mean if we look at the broad scope of things i think a big thing will be i think that i, th- I think the the big thing for us is like understanding which technology is leading in manufacturing. Yeah. I think a big thing is, is also, I mean, maybe this is a bit more down the line. Be interested to see what you guys think about this, but the role of robots and automation in manufacturing. Say, I, I could yeah. 100% foresee a system already, like, where like you've got a battery farm of, uh, of, of chickens and it's like run by an AI in a way like it's sensitive to when an egg is dropped. They are dispersed into a certain thing. You know, and it's just the process is done, and there's no there's no overlooking yeah. at all. It's in, your, in the factory currently, we've got about five six people working in there. But in the future, will there be anyone? Yeah. Don't, don't know. So it is interesting. AI to see. and eggs. That's part of it. AI and eggs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Is um, your yogurt plant not already kind of automated? I mean, it is automated in the automated sense. Automated compared to a hundred years ago, if you wanted to make some yogurt. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Like it's like the machinery is pretty techy. The milk yeah. flows through, is pasteurized, um, um, and everything is processed and everything. And so, realistically, now it's just the machines also take out the yogurt and people kind of fill them, put the bucket on. It's it's quite. It's a, quite a repetitive kind of thing to do. So could you see it being sort of, you just send milk over a robot, and we're saying not even that long, even with like, with everything going on now, it'd be expensive, I'm sure, but you could literally send it not much margin for error at all, and you just have a, a pot of yogurt that would yeah, come out all done. Yeah, it's scary, I mean, because you love... You don't want like a 2001 situation, though. So the way you... The robot now like it, owns it, the yogurt. When you... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you it's not selling it, it just cuts you out. Suckerbergs, you own the business. You sold the contract. Yeah, that would be scary. That would be seriously scary. It's a great point. Yeah, no, the ro- the robot stuff is is interesting, but I don't know. I I feel like we're still a fairly long way from that. But this financial incentive, even if you're paying two hundred grand That's for so this true. machinery, you don't have to pay like three people's wages. Say, say you cut three people's wage out. That's just one year, and you've already got like enough to buy exactly. a couple of machines, haven't you? But I think yeah, I think that's where you've got to get the balance i think yeah, that's the important yeah. thing like uh, you've you, got to grow with the times as well. you've got to grow with the times. so technology is always going to be important but it's also another really important thing is like you know the culture you build in the company like obviously people make that not the technology yeah. and so you know hiring and like working with like really good people is also essential to the business yeah. as well so i think there's like a there's a fine balance if you like there but you, you're right you've got to stay with the technology otherwise people will just leave you because it 
it is more efficient. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. yeah. But there's, all, there's there is always an, always an aspect in the food industry of kind of like a primitivistic sympathy, you know. Yeah. With, with hands and you know soil yeah. and dirt the, and everything, you know. Yeah. You know, the, the, the farmer. Yeah, the farmer yeah, is a true. prime example of that. And and the fr the free range, like you say, it's clear. Technology, a perfect example of technology being introduced into farming is the battery farm and stuff like that, isn't it? And people just don't want it, you know. There's a certain level where you got to get the balance. People still want to pay that premium for free range. They want to pay that premium for the idea that it's been corn-fed by the farmer and you can see where it's come from and you can go visit the farm if you want to and it's all natural. People, I, do you think there will always be a market for that or do you think eventually needs must or just come and people or something i think free okay. i think free Fair range enough. will be in like a lot from my point of ignorance free range is in danger just due to space yeah exactly. just due to space exactly. and people the, the and stat like, and I'm, I'm gonna misquote this probably but the stat on the amount of land on the planet used for agriculture i think maybe 40 percent or something yeah, ridiculous is, like that yeah, type in amount of land used for agriculture that includes arable and dairy and all that sort of stuff but it's something it's crazy. Ridiculous. It's a crazy. It's a it's a percentage. Also, the food industry is the largest contributor to greenhouse gases. So it'll be yeah, yeah, it'll yeah. be the industry. It's almost the most does. detrimental industry yeah, to yeah. the environment, which is why, as I said, sustainability is going to be a huge thing in that in that respect. Well, talk top about top that. search on Google is saying half of the world's habitable food is used for agriculture. Exactly, so it's even habitable more. land, even more than I thought. It's crazy. And then you've got rainforests and stuff. Yeah. Kind of linking into this, we've got a question from one no, of okay. our listeners. Nice, nice, nice. Um, from Noah Pennant. Okay. He says, um, Do you see a vegan egg ever being introduced? Oh, oh great question. So, oh, great question. A vegan egg. A can vegan you egg. That would be kind of weird. Abs uh, you, yeah. you can count me out. It's actually been done. Foremost. It's been done. It's been done. Oh, oh, sure. There's a. There's a, fair, there's a uh, I mean, it's not in a shell that you're no, sort of cracking so out. How do they get the kind of consistency and the the yolk to kind of they, they don't <laughs> probably So there's a company there's a company called Just Egg in America. Okay. Who I'm incredibly interested, but they've they've essentially created, if you like, a lab liquid egg. It's got the same yeah. consistency. It's made out of like plants and things, almost like think of it like a. It's just proteins, and isn't it? Really? And they've they've created a system where they can produce. And this. it's a liquid egg that you could scramble if you wanted. Yeah, but the color of their yolk is looking alright. Could you do that? Or yeah, what, like? I mean, you can definitely scramble it. It's, you can definitely use it as omelette. The only thing use I use it for cakes and stuff. Yeah, that's but I don't amazing. think it actually looks like a. I don't think you can make it look like a fried egg. I've yeah, seen it. Yeah, well, it, it's probably more than it. Google's works got some well images. For binding like, yeah. cakes and stuff. See, look, I'm looking at these like perfect eggs. Perfect yeah. eggs. But I'm just thinking there's a bit of a tension there, right? Because clearly, they're they're like synthetically influencing it. They want it to look more orange to give that kind of the the quintessential yeah. egg, which is literally like the embryo of a life, which yeah. you are kind of you know simulating the human mind you're like the orange of the egg the nicer it is yeah but you're kind of tricking people into swapping out that that's just a dead chicken it's but true. they're still playing into it by coloring up the color of the yolk yeah i mean the chicken like well, a, a, an egg is something that is so obviously not vegan do you know what i mean it's so hard it, it seems like yeah. it's gonna be so hard for someone to kind of yeah tiptoe around that it's true i mean again it fills into how quickly is everyone gonna turn vegan if they are we'll definitely get the technology i mean could you see a time where you could actually grow an actual egg 
in a lab, <laughs> like a chicken would grow it inside. Man, them. I think so. Do you know what I mean? I honestly don't like think an it... embryo of yeah, something, I... and it's not nothing's been harmed in the process. It, there was no sort of so need true. for life. I mean, and you just grow an egg with the calcium shell and all yeah, this. Yeah, I honestly that. think we're not as far as where we think on that sense. I think one important thing to realise is with the vegan egg. If we look at that, is that it's the more the implications for like the welfare of chickens rather than the egg actually being vegan there's obviously so many groups that are just you know disheartened by the way chickens are treated even yeah, in any environment yeah, yeah. the advantage of making it in that lab is firstly like you know it takes out you know chicken welfare should be improved yeah so i think that's yeah. a big thing I'm, I'm gonna come in with a question here from uh friend of the show alex hill okay yeah, uh he's got two questions <laughs> uh to to close this out so the first one is what came first, chicken or the egg? He wants a, sci- <laughs> he wants a scientific answer to that. Um, and if you're struggling is, with that one, the second the question egg. is... Just so we know, it's the egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. And the second question is, what came first, Sanger, the chicken, or the egg? So, <laughs> we get any responses on that. Thank the you for the question. I mean, talking techie about it. There was a point where a non-chicken gave birth to a chicken in the evolutionary yeah, 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 yeah. I've got no idea. No, it has to be. It has to be. It has to be. I think. I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, and the answer to the second one is obviously is obviously saying it. There, the are, there, are, there were no real chickens or eggs pre-match. Yeah. Pre this man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll go with the that. Marsh, the, the Marshwood Dynasty. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Well, yeah, cool. uh, we're gonna have to wrap this up, I believe. Yeah, it's been great fun. Thanks so much. That was good. We collab. Yeah, uh, very can't nice wait to... for you guys to come on the perfect day. Yeah, yeah, the, what, the, what, what's the, the perfect day podcast. That award-winning purple radio show. Award-winning podcast. Yeah, yeah, but no, it's been great fun. We'll do a collab for sure. It's been great fun. It's been great. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Well, Thank you very much, guys, and we shall uh, be here next week. Yeah, we'll be here next week. Haven't got a guest lined up yet, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll find something interesting. We'll find something as interesting. always. As always. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.